This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Here's another podcast from... Joy 94.9 presents Absolutely Everybody. Sponsored by and presented by Anecto, the People Network... Absolutely everybody, only on Joy 94.9. We have Jax, Jackie Brown and Nathan Grexy in the studios. Jax is a disability activist. Mm -hmm. I recently asked you, Jax, about what activism meant for you, uh, coming from an activist background in you, and we both have a love of megaphones, but also there's Mm -hmm. a lot more to being an activist for you, particularly Mm -hmm. disability activist, and I'm really looking forward to delving into that with you. And also Nathan Grexy, who is from Vimiac Victorian Mental Illness Awareness Council. Mm-hmm. First of all, first of all, tell us about Vimiac, actually, because I think Vimiac's a really interesting organisation. There are sister organisations uh, in other states, but it's not one that has a lot of attention. What is what is Vimiac? Sure. Um, well, Vimiac, uh, as mentioned before, stands for the Victorian Mental Illness Awareness Council. Um, basically, Vimiac it sits as the peak consumer body within Victoria at the moment, and what that means is basically um, it's about the voice of people with a lived experience of mental health issues, of diagnosis of mental illness, or just a lived experience of emotional distress. Um, so we aim to uh, within Vimiac hopefully support the voices of consumers right across Victoria to be heard in the issues that directly affect them. And I think what's really interesting about Vimiac is that it's not just about consumer voices, but it's about consumer leadership with Vimiac being a body in which is mostly made up of people with a lived experience of mental health issues themselves. So it's not about experts coming in saying, we're going to let you have some space to have a voice. It's consumers saying, we together are creating a space for that voice. Yeah, um, basically everyone who works within Vimiac, we're all people who identify as having a lived experience ourselves. So it's that idea of uh, expertise by lived experience. We're all coming uh, with our own issues or with our own diagnosis or with our own experience of the mental health system. Um, And I do believe that's an important element of what we do, uh, being able to bring that experiential quality to the work. And Jax, you're an activist, so you're not... uh connected specifically with an individual organisation, are you? No, no. So about consumer rights, then I asked you what they mean to you. Why are they important for you? Um, I think particularly in disability at the moment, consumer rights are really important with the rollout of the NDIS and the possible issues around that in terms of what will it actually look like for people with disabilities? Will it give us more choice or will it give us poorer choices because things are going to be under-regulated? And so for me at the moment, consumer rights really means people with disabilities' capacity to advocate and understand um, their rights and the quality of services that they deserve and also to um, be invited into spaces where the NDIS Mm. and all these things are being discussed and to have a voice and to value that lived experience, really. I loved what you said because I think often um, with disability, our lived experience isn't really valued or seen as important and we're really medicalised and, and that part of our life and our, our body is, is um, 
is what people kind of relate to first. And for me as an activist, I think the lived experience is actually something that, that has really valuable knowledge and that I can bring to a lot of, a lot of um, disability spaces. Mm. And you just had a recent experience um, trying to access um, upcoming conference. Mm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. The um, the National Disability Summit is happening in Melbourne on Wednesday and Thursday of next week, and um, and I found out about it through a disability newsletter, and I thought, okay, I really want to go, and there's a discount price if you're a person with a disability or a family or a carer. It costs fifty five dollars for the two days, as opposed to a thousand five hundred um, if you're not if you don't identify as that. Um, and so I thought, okay, I want to educate myself. I want to be a voice in that space and learn more about the NDIS and what it means because they're reporting back from the pilot sites as well. So we're going to mm. learn what the actual rollout meant and all that really important stuff. Um, and so I bought my ticket. Um, and when I was filling out the online registration form, I put down, it said, what is your organisation? And I put down um, disability activist. And then cheekily in the next box, it said, um, what is your position? And I put down executive. Um, and this was on a Friday afternoon. And the form got sent off to the people. And I received this email back going, um, oh, just questioning your organisation. And so I wrote back and said, oh, yeah, um, I am self-funded to come to the conference. I identify as a person with a disability and I'm really interested in our voices being part of the conference space. Um, so I'd really like to attend. And at this point, um, I'd paid with my credit card to attend. Then I received another email back probably 10 minutes later um, going, oh, sorry, um, we actually can't offer you that ticket price anymore. Those um, disability ticket prices are sold out. If you want to attend, you can pay a regular ticket at $1,500. So I emailed back and said, I think that's really interesting given that the website didn't say that the ticket wasn't processed and it was only after I've been asked how I self-identify mm. and that I identify as a person with a disability particularly but also I think they're a little bit unnerved that I identified as a disability activist and that therefore I might come there with some troubling questions or some politics. Um, and so then the email kind of went a little bit higher um, and at this point it was like um, after five on a Friday afternoon and someone sent me back a really lengthy email saying they were really sorry that they couldn't offer me that ticket price but it had all sold out and um, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, then what I did is I used social media and I, I made a public um, Facebook post about the incident and I actually quoted what the final email said. Mm. Um, and interestingly, they'd, I'd said to them, oh, I'm just interested to know how many people with disabilities are attending, like how many of those cheaper tickets were given to the attendees to make sure we have a voice in that space. And they said, oh, 12. 12 Tw people. 12. And, and that 12 can That's consist absurd. of people with disabilities themselves or carers or, carers or family members. So that 12 could, wasn't yeah, even made up mm. of people with the actual direct lived experience. It could have been people that they'd handpicked previously to know that they were going to sit there and be really thankful to be allowed to be there and, and not ask healthy questions and um, not self-advocate really. So then because I had that number and because I knew that that's terrible representation, I was able to include that in my social media post and it went a little bit viral kind of locally. Um, and then interestingly, one of the um, peak bodies that was really 
um, there was two people with disabilities that were speaking out, out of the two-day conference. One of them was um, a woman with a disability who was kind of tacked onto the end of a panel to look like they were giving representation. And the other one was um, someone from a peak disability organisation that was speaking. And so they were able to go in and advocate and say, we actually have a policy of not speaking at conferences that don't allow enough um, attendance by people with disabilities. And so they went in and advocated on my behalf and on behalf of other people with disabilities. That's fabulous. Um, and the outcome is that they've released tickets for people with disabilities, and so now I'm attending. So for you, yeah. consumer rights isn't just about, as a wheelchair user, access to physical spaces. No. It's been able to access broader intellectual spaces that really concern how you can live your life and how public policies and projects impact on your life. Sit tight. The other side is just here. Joy. Now, I want to know, Nathan, what is your role? Um, You mentioned it before, uh, advocacy. Um, That's one of uh, VMNX's primary roles in, in the community is around consumer advocacy. Um, when we talk about advocacy, uh, I think I mentioned before uh, about uh, consumers' voices being heard in the issues which affect us directly. And that's basically what the advocacy is about. So um, we focus on directions-based advocacy within Vimiac. Now, I understand there's other advocacy organisations out there who do uh, also best interest advocacy as well. So they take into account uh, what they feel might be the best interests of the people they're working with. Um, within Vimiac, we, we try and avoid doing that, and we're really about uh, the direction of the people we're working with. So it's really focusing on the voice of the consumer. Uh, as we say, we try not to advocate for people, but we advocate with people. Okay, so where does that fit into consumer rights? Um, it's really about, uh, we mentioned before, that uh, idea of experiential expertise. So it's based on the philosophy that, that all of us as consumers and as human beings, we're, we're experts in our own lives. Um, quite often, uh, historically, when people have been uh, found themselves caught up in the mental health system, we often end up with a lot of people making decisions about us or telling us what is good for us and what is bad for us. And quite often, our voice gets lost in all of that. So there may be things which we have to add to the discussion, which we feel is going to be good or bad for us. And that's really uh, where the rights come into focus. So it's about our own voice being heard and being uh, considered at the front of any decisions that are made. It's really interesting when we think about rights in the disability field and we think about activism and we think about advocacy and there is quite that separation between advocacy and activism and I think that we were having a discussion recently, Jax, where you, I asked about disability justice mm-hmm. and that is something that's actually a rollover from America mm-hmm. and it's something that has moved along forward in terms of it in the context of activism in Australia than, say, for example, mental illness activism. Mm -hmm. What is... Can you just uh, tell us what disability justice is? Um, Yeah, well, I think disability justice comes from the disability rights movement, which initiated in the UK in the 1970s and then went over to the US. Um, And it's kind of grounded in this thing called the social model of disability, which is this idea that the built environment and people's attitudes about what it means to have a disability disable people with disabilities or limit our lives far more than our different bodies or our different minds will do. So like the built environment, things like um, inaccessible buildings with stairs and all that kind of stuff or inaccessible trams or buses, but also how that kind of feeds into 
what people's attitudes around what they expect of people with disabilities or how we can participate fully or not fully in public life. So um, the attitudes kind of sit on top of an inaccessible environment that limits our lives. Um, And so disability justice is about trying to change that, trying to advocate or or be an activist around those things and advocate for um, sweeping changes in society. But but for me, my activist my activistness can come in the form of um, protesting, but it can also come in the form of having conversations with people that talk about this stuff and and change notions of um, what people expect of me as a person with a disability. Um, so it can be a very one-on-one kind of dialogue as well as a, a kind of taking to the streets or, or pushing my way into conference spaces, all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, and when we think about mental illness and we think about the way in which it's socially concepted and the way in which the narratives within Australia kind of limit people's rights uh, in Australia. We think about the historical nature of activism Mm -hmm. and we think about the psychiatric... Well, I think about it, and I've worked in this field for a very long time, psychiatric survivors movement, which came out of America around the same time. What do you think the state of Australia is in terms of consumer rights and consumer participation for people with the lived experience of mental health issues, Nathan? Um, well, it, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it's, it's definitely shifting. Um, you're right in that the, the consumer movement's been quite a long-standing one uh, in this country as well. Um, I guess when we talk about the rights of people changing and how that's actually being heard within Australia. Um, Vimiac, the, the way we work with advocacy, we work on three levels. So we work with individual advocacy, so one-on-one with people. We do group advocacy out in the community as well. So groups of consumers who might have a specific issue or a specific uh, voice they're wanting heard. Uh, so a good example of something like that would be like the, the Hearing Voices movement. There's a different kind of framework around what's traditionally understood as mental illness. And that's more around the framework that Jax was talking mm. about with disability justice in that these people that do hear voices are people in which within this uh, justice movement and consumer right movement is about creating spaces where they can live well with hearing voices rather than that pathologizing nature of psychiatry about doing whatever even impinging on people's rights to get rid of those voices yes, yeah and that's where it would lead on to the third kind of advocacy which is really about systemic advocacy so it's having those various voices of the the really diverse kind of communities we've got out there within the consumer movement uh, being heard at the systemic level so with things like mental health legislation with Uh, psychiatry being able to enforce compulsory treatment on people. That's a a big component of the systemic advocacy that we do. Jax, Hmm. what kind of access do people have uh, around advocacy when we're dealing with uh, kind of systems and frameworks focusing specifically on physical disabilities? Um, Well, that's a really interesting question and I have to say that I feel often... Um, as a woman and as a queer woman with a disability, um, that this whole idea of rights and that we we each have access to rights and and can access um, can access things if things don't go the way we're expecting can can advocate for ourselves or have people advocate on our behalf kind of doesn't always translate well to marginalised groups. Like what does what does it mean to um, be able to access 
recourse for things if you've had discrimination happen in your life. And as a person with multiple marginalised identities, like things happen all the time that I have to deal with and process. So I often find that the people that... Um, that kind of seek legal justice, for instance, are often are often white, um, disabled straight men because they believe that they have a right to that and they know how to navigate their way through those kind of services and and have the funds possibly or more access to funds than than women with disabilities or queer people. So I think that I think that it, it's it's interesting to think that we all have the same rights and access but do we really and how do we work to ensure that people um, feel like they can they can speak up and they can try and try and get forms of justice that they need in their life I think that you you make a really good point there and for me rights are rights it's not a matter of there should be different rights for different people your rights are your rights however the access to those rights mm. is a very different matter and it's a different matter depending upon whether you have a disability, whether you're uh, queer or straight in this community and certainly we need to acknowledge that from this radio station, whether you're a woman or a man or uh, gender non-conforming, whether mm. you're a person of colour or mm. not a person of colour. How does that translate to your work, Nathan? Um, really, it's about listening to the individual uh, and, and the individual groups in the community. Um, so it's really about respecting the voice and the experience of everyone we work with uh, across the, the diverse communities that we do have contact with. Mm. What's your opinion on this, Amy? Um, yeah, I, I agree in in some ways. I think sometimes um, people get marginalised simply because the way they access services and... Um, the people who are there to assist them haven't told them the right information to begin with. Um, I'll give you an example. I ran into a lady on the train a while ago, as we happen, we tend to do, us wheelies, and she'd got a new wheelchair and she'd purchased it um, through the SWEP program, but she was told she could only trial it for an hour and she had to decide after that. And that's completely wrong. And it turned out not to be the right chair for her. And so I spent the whole train trip telling her her rights and what she was entitled to. And no one had ever told her. Um, And she was a lady who had MS. She was new to the SWEP system and the disability kind of um, system generally and had no idea. Yeah, another example of access not just being about physical places and spaces, but mm. access to the important information mm. that you need to move forward. Exactly. Joy. Now, we, I want to know, Nathan, what is your role? Um, you mentioned it before, uh, advocacy. Yeah. Um, that's one of uh, VMNX's primary roles in, in the community is around consumer advocacy. Um, when we talk about advocacy, uh, I think I mentioned before uh, about uh, consumers' voices being heard in the issues which affect us directly. And that's basically what the advocacy is about. So um, we focus on directions-based advocacy within Vimiac. Now, I understand there's other advocacy organisations out there who do uh, also best interest advocacy as well. So they take into account uh, what they feel might be the best interests of the people they're working with. Um, within Vimiac, we, we try and avoid doing that, and we're really about uh, the direction of the people we're working with. So it's really focusing on the voice of the consumer. Uh, as we say, we try not to advocate for people, but we advocate with people. Okay, so where does that fit into consumer rights? 
Um, it's really about, uh, we mentioned before, that uh, idea of experiential expertise. So it's based on the philosophy that, that all of us as consumers and as human beings, where we're experts in our own lives, um, that quite often, uh, historically, when people have been uh, found themselves caught up in the mental health system, we often end up with a lot of people making decisions about us or telling us what is good for us and what is bad for us. And quite often, our voice gets lost in all of that. So there may be things which we have to add to the discussion, which we feel is going to be good or bad for us. And that's really uh, where the rights come into focus. So it's about our own voice being heard and being uh, considered at the front of any decisions that are made. It's really interesting when we think about rights in the disability field and we think about activism and we think about advocacy and there is quite that separation between advocacy and activism and I think that we were having a discussion recently Jax where you I asked about disability justice Mm -hmm. and that is something that's actually a rollover from America Mm -hmm. and it's something that has moved along forward in terms of a in the context of activism in Australia than, say, for example, mental illness activism. Mm-hmm. What is... Can you just uh, tell us what disability justice is? Um, yeah, well, I think disability justice comes from the disability rights movement, which initiated in the UK in the 1970s and then went over to the US. Um, and it's kind of grounded in this thing called the social model of disability, which is this idea that the built environment and people's attitudes about what it means to have a disability disable people with disabilities or limit our lives far more than our different bodies or our different minds will do. So like the built environment, things like um, inaccessible buildings with stairs and all that kind of stuff or inaccessible trams or buses, but also how that kind of feeds into what people's attitudes around what they expect of people with disabilities or how we can participate fully or not fully in public life. So um, the attitudes kind of sit on top of an inaccessible environment that limits our lives. Um, And so disability justice is about trying to change that, trying to advocate or or be an activist around those things and advocate for... um, sweeping changes in society but but for me my activist my activistness can come in the form of um protesting but it can also come in the form of having conversations with people that talk about this stuff and and change notions of um what people expect of me as a person with a disability um so it can be a very one-on-one kind of dialogue as well as a a kind of taking to the streets or, or pushing my way into conference spaces all that kind of stuff as well yeah and when we think about mental illness and we think about the way in which it's socially concepted and the way in which the narratives within Australia kind of limit people's rights uh, in Australia, we think about the historical nature of activism mm-hmm. and we think about the psychiatric... Well, I think about it, and I've worked in this field for a very long time, psychiatric survivors movement, which came out of America around the same time. What do you think the state of Australia is in terms of consumer rights and consumer participation for people with the lived experience of mental health issues, Nathan? Um, well, it, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it's, it's definitely shifting. Um, you're right in that the, the consumer movement's been quite a long-standing one uh, in this country as well. Um, I guess when we talk about the rights of people changing and how that's actually being heard within Australia, um, 
Vimiac, the, the, the way we work with advocacy, we work on three levels. So we work with individual advocacy, so one-on-one with people. We do group advocacy out in the community as well. So groups of consumers who might have a specific issue or a specific uh, voice they're wanting heard. Uh, so a good example of something like that would be like the, the Hearing Voices movement. There's a different kind of framework around what's traditionally understood as mental illness. And that's more around the framework that Jax was talking mm. about with disability justice in that these people that do hear voices are people in which within this uh, justice movement and consumer right movement is about creating spaces where they can live well with hearing voices rather than that pathologizing nature of psychiatry about doing whatever even impinging on people's rights to get rid of those voices yes yeah and that's where it would lead on to the third kind of advocacy which is really about systemic advocacy so it's having those various voices of the the really diverse kind of communities we've got out there within the consumer movement uh, being heard at the systemic level so with things like mental health legislation with uh, psychiatry being able to enforce compulsory treatment on people that's a, a big component of the systemic advocacy that we do Jax, what kind of access do people have uh, around advocacy when we're dealing with uh, kind of systems and frameworks focusing specifically on physical disabilities? Um, Well, that's a really interesting question. And I have to say that I feel often um, as a woman and as a queer woman with a disability um, that this whole idea of rights and that we we each have access to rights and and can access um can access things if things don't go the way we're expecting can can advocate for ourselves or have people advocate on our behalf kind of doesn't always translate well to marginalized groups like what does what does it mean to um be able to access recourse for things if you've had discrimination happen in your life and as a person with multiple marginalised identities, like things happen all the time that I have to deal with and process. So I often find that the people that um, that kind of seek legal justice, for instance, are often are often white, um, disabled straight men because they believe that they have a right to that and they know how to navigate their way through those kind of services and and have the funds possibly or more access to funds than than women with disabilities or queer people so i think that i think that it's it's interesting to think that we all have the same rights and access but do we really and how do we work to ensure that people um, feel like they can they can speak up and they can try and try and get forms of justice that they need in their life. I think that you you make a really good point there and for me rights are rights. It's not a matter of there should be different rights for different people. Your rights are your rights. However, the access to those rights mm. is a very different matter and it's a different matter depending upon whether you have a disability, whether you're uh, queer or straight in this community, and certainly we need to acknowledge that from this radio station, whether you're a woman or a man or uh, gender non-conforming, whether mm. you're a person of colour or mm. not a person of colour. How does that translate to your work, Nathan? Um, really, it's about listening to the individual uh, and the individual groups in the community. 
Um, so it's really about respecting the voice and the experience of everyone we work with uh, across the, the diverse communities that we do have contact with. Mm. What's your opinion on this, Amy? Um, yeah, I, I agree in in some ways. I think sometimes um, people get marginalised simply because the way they access services and um, the people who are there to assist them haven't told them the right information to begin with. Um, I'll give you an example. I ran into a lady on the train a while ago, as we happen, we tend to do, us wheelies, and she'd got a new wheelchair and she'd purchased it um, through the SWEP program, but she was told she could only trial it for an hour and she had to decide after that. And that's completely wrong. And it turned out not to be the right chair for her. And so I spent the whole train trip telling her her rights and what she was entitled to. And no one had ever told her. Um, and she was a lady who had MS. She was new to the SWEP system and the disability kind of um, system generally and had no idea. Yeah, another example of access not just being about physical places and spaces, but mm. access to the important information mm. that you need to move forward. Exactly. Joy, 94.9. We don't have much time left, but one of the big elephants in the room is the Mental Health Act. Do you want to just take us through some of the changes that have been occurring? And there have been quite substantial changes and what that, why that is important to rights within the mental health field. Sure. Um, well, in Victoria, we've had a, a legislation around mental health and compulsory treatment. Uh, so the, the first act came into effect in 1986. Uh, we've actually had a new mental health act come into effect uh, from July of last year. And there's been a number of changes within the act, uh, particularly around people's rights and what people are able to do if they find themselves on compulsory treatment. Uh, the, the new legislation also goes a, a fair way to incorporating the mental health principles uh, under legislation. Now, there's been a bit of criticism from consumer communities that the new legislation really not much has changed, but we, yeah. do, we do know there's a number of key differences in I, the new Act. I think it's really important to just acknowledge that pr- the, the data that came in previous to this Act created a space where in Victoria we had the highest amounts of enforced incarceration, enforced medication, enforced electric shock therapy in the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and I, I believe too that a lot of the criticism levelled at uh, any legislation around compulsory treatment is really, uh, it, it's around that violation of people's human rights and that right to refuse treatment uh, under such things as the United Nations Charter uh, of Rights of People with Disabilities and those kind of uh, documents. Absolutely. So what's the feedback? Um, The feedback at the moment is that uh, it's probably a little bit too early to tell if if there's been much of a difference overall. Um, We do know there's been uh, some successes and some things where people feel their rights are are still in the same position they were with the previous Act. Um, A number of the changes that have happened, uh, we now have the introduction of things like uh, advanced statements and nominated persons, which are included in legislation. Do you want to just really quickly say what that is? Sure. Um, Advanced statements, uh, they're basically a chance to have in writing people's uh, preferred treatment options if they find themselves on compulsory treatments. And nominated persons are documents which are... It's pretty self-explanatory. You can, can nominate a person who is in your life. It could be a family member, it can be a friend, someone in the community who needs to be informed and, and yeah. included in decision-making. Unfortunately, these documents aren't legally binding. No. But they are a great opportunity for people to be able to explain what kind of ways in which they want 
to be supported when they are unwell. Yeah, and, and I think uh, one of the views amongst a lot of consumer communities as well is there's an opportunity here to use things like advanced statements to include um, alternative frameworks for, for mental health as part of their treatment. So we talk about things like uh, open dialogue, uh, hearing voices, all those kinds of things that are happening out in consumer communities, which if there's enough of a, a, a call for these kinds of things within people's advanced statements, then how long is it going to be until we, re- we reach that critical mass where the clinical system does start to change? Yeah. And Jax, you're working really hard at the moment looking at access into spaces where you can find not only more information about the kinds of policies that affect you individually and as a community, but also how you feed into those policies. So what's next for you? Um, Well, I'm going to be attending the conference um, next week and hopefully getting a lot more knowledge and education for myself around all this kind of stuff. Um, So I'm doing that. And then towards the, um, I'm doing Girlfest as well. So I'm doing some spoken word stuff. Um, And then I'm running a workshop um, for the lesbian, bisexual and queer women's conference that's coming up at the end of the month on um, barriers to um, sexual health for women with disabilities um, who are queer. Um, so that'll be fun. I've only got half an hour. I'll try and pack a lot of stuff in there. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of different kind of things, different kind of advocacy um, or activism. I kind of prefer the word activism really because for me it, it it's a little bit more powerful it's a little bit more political um, and unapologetically so about those two things and it kind of aligns me with with the disability rights movement and the queer rights movement so I like to kind of use it and use it in spaces where people are expecting me to kind of be nice and polite and not have strong opinions. I played an interview with you on International Women's Day Mm. and you said one line that I just absolutely loved and that line and I'm just going to say it because I love it and you know, I've got the power because I've got the microphone. But um, you said how people always come up to you and just, you know, want to ask, you know, what's wrong with you? Mm. And you, the way that you like to respond is, why don't they ask me why my head is red? My why my hair is red and in a spike? Because I'm a dyke. That's why. And that's what you said on air. And I just have to share that again because <laughs> you know, yeah, for it. me, it, it kind of epitomises the the feistiness that is you, mm. which is something that I really love about you. And, and also the fact that often people with disabilities aren't seen as having a sexuality. Yeah. So even though I c- clearly mark my body with all the queer signals, like I'm wearing rainbow today and my spike is up and all that kind of thing, often people will not read me as a dyke, even though that's clearly what I'm trying to signal. Yeah. So, yeah, I like to kind of... I can relate that to that. And if you want to know more, the second last issue of Archer had an article with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.